Hey folks, Preet here. Doing Justice is my new narrative podcast based on my book and brought to you by Cafe Studios, the home of Stay Tuned. It explores cases from the unique perspective of prosecutors grappling with urgent legal, ethical, and moral questions. This is an excerpt from the fifth episode. You can go listen to the full episode now for free. Search for Doing Justice and subscribe wherever you're listening now. Butler spent the next couple of weeks coming up with a plan. This case was already dead on the state level, but what if it could become a federal case? Robbery, rape, assault, these are all state crimes. But there are exceptions. Like if an assault occurs on federal land inside of a national park, then it would be a federal crime. Or if a robbery interferes with interstate commerce, that's doing business between different states, then that robbery can become a federal crime. In other words, let's say someone robs a corner store in New York, and the milk that deli sells comes from a farm in New Jersey, and some of the money that was stolen from the till was the proceeds from that New Jersey milk. Believe it or not, that affects interstate commerce. Butler had worked on a few cases like that with my office, SDNY, the federal prosecutor's office in Manhattan. And those cases gave him an idea. He called up Sue Ann and asked her a question. Where are your clients coming from? And do clients come from New Jersey? And do they come from Connecticut outside the state? If any of Sue Ann's clients came in from a different state, then the robbery could be an interstate commerce case. Sue Ann said yes, she did have clients from New Jersey and Connecticut. Interstate commerce. So Butler brought the case to my office, and with his help, we started a federal investigation. But we still had the problems the Bronx DA had encountered. A difficult witness and not a lot of evidence. So, you know, really it was, can we corroborate in any way what the victim is saying here? Tatiana Martins, one of the prosecutors on the case, says the first step was to find out if there was any evidence to back up Sue Ann's claim that perpetrator number one was Bam. She didn't see his face. He was wearing a mask. It was really a voice identification and sort of information from the victim that he would have known that she had that kind of money. But we really needed to be able to understand, is there a way for us to corroborate that information with more hard evidence? We got the GPS data from Bam's cell phone. We needed to see where he was on the morning of the attack. Sure enough, he was in Sue Ann's neighborhood. And so when you see that GPS data, you know, pinging, boom, 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 from his area, boom, 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 up to, to that, the vicinity, as I say, a few blocks uh, within that apartment and back down, there was no other reason that we knew of for him to be up there in, in that time period, in particular, early morning hours of a particular day. And so to us, that was pretty good evidence for an indictment. Two months after the attack, we arrested Bam. His real name is Lamont Roll. When Butler interviewed him, Bam denied the whole thing. But when he was arrested, agents took everything he had on him, his wallet, his cell phone, all of it seized as evidence. We brought the GPS evidence to a grand jury, and Bam was indicted for armed robbery. We couldn't charge him with rape or assault, though. Only the Bronx DA could have done that. But we went ahead with what we had. Sue Ann was obviously the key witness, and she would have to take the stand. This would be complicated for a few reasons. First, we had to gain Sue Ann's trust. You know, she would sit with her arms crossed, right? Sitting back in her chair, kind of looking at me, 
you know, over the tops of her eyes, so to speak. She was hesitant to, you know, really open up and that she was suspicious of, you know, my ability to, I think, tell her story or to vindicate her in court initially. She'd been on the other side of the law before, served time for drug possession. It took a while for her to come around to believing that law enforcement was working with her, not against her. Another problem, bias. There would be questions in court about Sue Ann's credibility because of her work, her drug history, and her problems with the law. How are jurors going to feel about this? And are jurors going to say, you know what? You play in that world, you better face the consequences, right? If you're going to choose to do something illegal, high risk, like having different men into your apartment, then you got to deal with the consequences. And I'm sure there are people who think that way. If just one juror refuses to convict, that's a hung jury, a mistrial. Just one juror's prejudices could tank the whole case. Tatiana was worried that BAM's lawyers would use those prejudices against Sue Ann in their cross-examination. You know, I was incredibly concerned that there was going to be a lot of slut-shaming and that this was going to be a put-the-victim-on-trial kind of trial. Sue Ann had already been through so much. She was still dealing with the trauma of the attack. And talking about it in front of the man who had attacked her could re-victimize her and re-traumatize her. Would she be able to be clear, to seem credible to people on the jury who might be inclined not to believe her? She thought that she would be so nervous about him in terms of reliving it that, you know, it would it would trip her up and she would start crying or she would start shaking or whatever it was up on the stand. So she was. She was afraid of him. But that didn't stop Sue Ann. She was angry. She wanted justice. And that outweighed her fear. Doing Justice is the new Cafe Narrative podcast based on my best-selling book of the same name. I'm your host, Preet Bharara. You can go listen to the full episode now for free. Just search for Doing Justice and subscribe wherever you're listening now.